Rush into Old Navy today for up to 50% off store-wide. Get dresses from $15 for women, $12 for girls, plus up to 75% off clearance for the whole family right now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1016 to 1020, select styles only. You are locked on, locked on, locked on Hornets. Your daily Charlotte Hornets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome in, Hornets fans. This is Locked On Hornets, presented by Hive Talk Live. It's Hornets Talk for the hardcore fan. I'm Doug Branson, joined by the man who is secretly driving Lance Stevenson to the Pelicans as payback for years of injustice towards Charlotte, David Walker. I thought about that, Doug. They take everything. They can't. They can't just take all the awesome stuff. They have to take the stuff that didn't go too well. That's right. It's tit for tat, and and the tat in this case would be. Lance Stevenson. So, uh, yeah. Before, you know, I can't, David, I got to be honest with you. I came into the booth, this wonderful booth that we've built here in the Gettimer.com studios in Uptown Charlotte. I came locked and loaded with a- an anti football rant. Whoa, now, hot well, take. I know. Well, it's not a popular take. I know that. I know I'm in the minority with anything anti football. But I'll say this I was just, I was prepared to say that I'm already fatigued by football like I used to Mm. David I used to have uh, much more stamina towards football as as a teen I mean I would watch the the one o'clock game the four o'clock game the Sunday night game the Monday night game I'd order a pizza I'd eat the entire pizza for the Monday night game I was right I was a little more robust as as a teen (laughs) and now I'm eating healthy living right but I I just had more I had more of a hunger for football and pizza and now, I just I can't do the Monday night games anymore. I well, just I certainly can't. not ones that start at eleven o'clock. I'm out on the eleven o'clock kickoffs, guys. Just a heads up. <laughs> Anything yeah, that happens in to... those, don't talk to me about it at, at work the next yeah. day because I certainly did not stay up to watch. Okay, well, I didn't stay up to watch either, David. But mm-hmm. uh, I did wake up this morning to a lot of texts from my friends who did stay up to watch, who said I had to listen to this call by Kevin Harlan, who is a popular announcer in the uh, NBA. But yeah. here he is for Westwood One Radio calling this uh, 49ers-Rams game that that was pretty boring by all accounts. But then yeah. an idiot ran onto the field. Well, let's turn okay. it over to Kevin for the call here. Third and four, looks into the nickel of San Francisco in the secondary. Hey, somebody has run out on the field. Some goofball in a hat and a red shirt. Now he takes off the shirt. He's running down the middle by the 50. He's at the 30. He's bare-chested, banging his chest. Now he runs the opposite way. He runs to the 50. He runs to the 40. The guy is drunk, but there he goes. The 20. They're chasing him. They're not going to get him. Waving his arms, bare-chested. Somebody stop Look that out. man. Here comes the blue coat. Oh, they got him. Here comes coming the blue from the left. Oh, and they tackle him at the 40-yard line. Wow. That was the most exciting thing to happen tonight. I'd say (laughs) (laughs) that is a man. That is a man who has passion for what he does and can have a good time. And that is why he's one of the best. That's awesome. That's a great way to start the day. Thanks, Doug. He he has exactly get you pumped up. I wish he was I wish he was calling this podcast. He steps into the booth. He pulls the mic up. Oh, he's got his rundown up. 
<laughs> I mean, it was look. Kevin Harlan is amazing. He has graced both uh, NBA basketball and uh, NBA 2K for a long time, mm-hmm. so very familiar with the the Harlan voice. But yes, you're right. He had a passion for what he was doing. He was having a good time, and so certainly he will be punished. <laughs> like no way he of comes course. out of that unscathed from from. Well, Westwood. thankfully he was on he was on radio, right? He wasn't on TV, so maybe. Right. He wasn't on the worldwide leader. So maybe, yeah, hey, Doug, hopefully. Real quick, I don't know mm-hmm. if you noticed on my Twitter feed Saturday night, but one of our uh, one of our announcers that we're close with was doing a little football himself. One Eric Collins was doing the North Carolina-Illinois game. What? Yeah. Did you listen? Was it good? I mean, was it good? What am I saying? You, what, of course it was good. It was great. It was amazing. Well, it was outstanding. You know, you know Exactly. You know me, Doug. I, I tend to go with the radio call the first time around. If things go well, I'll watch the TV on the second go-round, which is exactly what I did because uh, North Carolina was victorious. But anyway, Eric Collins was classic Eric Collins, delivered as usual. And and as usual, for those that maybe are, are just jumping on the Eric Collins bandwagon this season, the usual is is a lot of excitement is um it will it'll hurt your throat that's all i'm saying that's how that's how excited he gets it's going to yeah i mean th- there weren't any you know 60 foot bombs to extend a game into double overtime uh but he had fun with it i mean he's in that kevin harlan mold he is happy to be there and you are going to know about it well we're happy to be here we're happy that you are making a locked on hornets part of your daily routine that's right we're daily monday through friday now that we are part of the Locked On Podcast Network podcast on your favorite teams delivered week daily. Panthers fans, head over to iTunes right now after the show even and subscribe to the Locked On Panthers podcast with host Steve Reed. We're putting the live back in Hive Talk Live Tuesdays and Thursdays beginning this fall on YouTube and Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Hive Talk Live for updates about when that's going down. If you have a question or a comment or you want to sponsor the show, email us at buzzbuzz at hivetalklive.com. Well, I have one more thing for you to check out, David. I picked this up from NBA.com. Steve Ashburner profiling the head coaches meeting in Chicago. Rule change is always a topic of discussion in Chicago for that head coaches meeting. What's coming up and what could be coming next in rule changes? NBA.com had a chance to poll a few of those coaches about what they would like to see changed in the league. And Hornets coach Steve Clifford had his say. In the article, he was quoted uh, as wanting the ability to advance the ball without a timeout with under two minutes to go in the ball game. Apparently, it's been used on a trial basis in the D-League and uh, the Summer League. So, David, advancing, basically, he wants one, adva- under two minutes, A team, each team would get one advance of the ball to half court without having to use a timeout. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they, yes. would, they would call a time, and, and as long as they don't dribble, like they could get a rebound, a defensive rebound, or it could be after a free throw, so a dead ball, or I guess a, a rebound would be a live ball. But as long as they don't right. dribble or advance the ball, they can call a timeout per usual, you know, give the timeout signal, and then when the ref runs over, they say, no, we just want to advance the ball. So if they have timeouts, they can keep them, and the ball moves to half court. So no huddle, no subs, no. You do get uh, substitutions. Yeah, you each team. E- yeah, each team would get to sub sub out, but there's no like you, timeout stoppage of play. 
Yeah, yeah. I like this in the fact that the, the theory behind it is, or the motive behind it, is to speed up the game, which is good. I think that's what we saw from FIBA, was they had a lot of ways in the Olympics to speed up the uh, the gameplay, which was nice. This is borderline confusing to me. <laughs> you tried to maybe it's because you tried to explain it to me via text, and I was trying to read uh, the ins and outs of it that way. I get it. I get it. Um, I just don't want to get into a territory where, like the NFL, no one knows what the freaking rules are. Yeah. Um, but I think this one, you know what I mean? It's like I, I'm all for tweaking and making the game faster. This sounds like it could help. I'd be on board with the uh, the 14 second reset on the shot clock for sure. That was um, a that, that was, was a FIBA that rule, and well. we also saw that in Rio. Yeah, I like that. I like the 14 yeah. second reset on an offensive rebound, so it forces you can't just you know you can't just bring the ball back out and waste another 10 seconds, especially at the end of the game. It makes it more a little more chaotic, a little more fluid, as opposed to to getting yep. those those ball holds. Yep, and the end of game is I think where people are focusing on because those last two minutes can take forever. So something with the timeouts. You know, something with restricting those. I believe they also did that in, in FIBA and the Olympic Games. So, good things to look at for sure. I, we just don't want to get too complicated, I think. You know what I mean? Yeah, Clifford was quoted as saying in the article, the game is at an all-time high in popularity, but a lot of people complain about those last two minutes. I think it would add a different dimension, but it would also be a good thing in addressing our biggest issue, unquote. So, he, you know, it would add an element of extra... Uh, sideline out of bounds strategy because you would get that extra opportunity in those final two minutes. It's important. the The rule as it's being played out in the D League and the Summer League is you only get one, so that's one per team. So it's one reset right. per team. I don't know if you would you'd still have timeouts if you wanted to continue those resets. I remember an article. I think it was on Grantland a while back from Chuck Klosterman that examined mm-hmm. the whole idea of advancing the ball in the NBA and how his thesis, the thesis of the article was that, you know, David, it's the only rule in sports that really kind of um, distorts time and space. Like you get to right. advance it a half a court and for nothing. Like, you know, you, you don't have for to nothing. do anything. Whereas normally in sports where we're very focused on, you know, using the entire the entire sporting field. Right, it's a bad way of putting yeah. it. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah, as long as this wouldn't, and that's why they do these things in the D League, which is a, another great uh, bonus for having that league there that they can try these things out. As long as it's not delaying things, I mean, can't you see a situation where okay, we're going to advance up oh, subs? No, 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 you can't come in. Up, oh, no, wait, we got to do that. You know, go back to the score table, like stuff like that. Like, I guess you're going to have that anyway with timeouts, but. Um, it's an interesting, it's an interesting theory. I mean, it would, you know, speed it up and make some of those half court scenarios more prevalent. I it guess, would speed but, it up a little bit, but I, I still think they have to address the review situation because oh that's God. what's yeah. really weighting the game down in terms of 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 time. So they need to figure that out. But I, I'm I'm okay with this. I think that the coaches seem to like it. I think that it would it, it would it it would create more drama. It would create more excitement. It would give teams an opportunity. We've we've seen teams run out of timeouts and have to throw at full court, and it it rarely, so rarely ends. And then some would argue, well, the rarity is what makes those moments when it does happen special. But I don't know. Okay, I I guess guess really you you keep it in your back pocket. I mean, most coaches would, right? 
So and in that scenario, you used all their timeouts, and then they could they could do it one more time. I think so. I mean. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I think that's okay. probably okay. probably how it will work out. All right, we'll keep okay. our eye on it. Could happen. I mean, uh, it seems to be working out in the D League and Summer League, so I think more than likely you will see that in the next couple of years. Um, but let's move on to our next topic, and it's uh, something we're going to be doing all week here on the Locked On Podcast Network. We're getting down with OPB, Other People's Basketball, previewing some of the Eastern Conference teams the Hornets may be dueling with for playoff positioning. Yesterday, we talked with Brad Rowland of Locked On Hawks about Atlanta. Today, we turn north to D.C. and another Southeastern opponent, the Washington Wizards. For that, we talked to Jake Whitaker of BulletsForever.com, the SB Nation blog covering the Wiz. We're joined by a very special guest. He's special because he decided to come back. That's right. He's a repeat guest. Uh, we didn't scare him off the first time. Jake Whitaker from BulletsForever.com. Jake, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you for having me, guys. I'm uh, excited to be back. Well, we're excited to have you, and and we're excited that you're part of our uh, five-part series here. We're talking all week about teams that Hornets fans should care about in the Eastern Conference. And uh, in my mind, the Wizards are one of the first uh, that come to mind in terms of proximity, but also I think uh, at least over the past couple of years, they've played some good games against one another. So it's it's good that we have you on. It's good that we're learning about this Wizards basketball team. Uh, catch us up here, Jake. Uh, the Wizards go two years in a row with uh, first-round series victories. And then last season, they missed the playoffs entirely. What happened? Um, well, I think it was uh, two things mainly. One, um, the the Randy Whitman um, voice just kind of, uh, faded out for, for lack of a better, uh, explanation. It just, uh, whatever they were able to, um, buy in with him, uh, in previous years, just, it didn't work. And you could see how that affected them on the defensive end and just not being a cohesive unit last year. And, and secondly, it was just the injuries. Bradley Beal missed a lot of time and they missed a lot of time. And, you know, they had a, a lot of injuries to, um, some of their role players. So depth was always an issue and they, and they just were never really able to put it all together. Well, now you have a new coach in Scott Brooks, a former coach of the Oklahoma city thunder. What does Brooks promise to bring to this wizards team that Randy Whitman could not deliver on? I think the biggest thing is player development. Um, you know, if you look at just X's and O's and what they emphasize Brooks and Whitman are very similar, but where they're different is Brooks is heavily invested in making sure young players develop. You saw how he did that in OKC, not just with, you know, Durant and Westbrook, but even guys like, you know, like Reggie Jackson, you know, and just everyone else that's, you know, come and gone through there. You see how they've improved and, you know, over the years in Washington, that really hasn't been the case. Uh, other than Wall and Beal, you know, somewhat, um, there just hasn't been a lot of player development. And with the way things are going, they really need guys like Otto Porter and Kelly Oubre to step up and improve this season. So hopefully uh, a guy like Scott Brooks should help bring that out of this year's team. 
Yeah, player development going to be very important for the Washington Wizards. You have Kelly Oubre, Sheldon McClellan, Otto Porter, Bradley Beal, Trey Burke, uh, Sadoransky, Jarrell Eddy, and John Wall, all under 25 years old. And in in the free agency period, they lost uh, Jared Dudley, Garrett Temple, Nene, and Ramon Sessions, who are all over 30 years old. It's fair to say, Jake, that the Wizards are having a youth movement. Do you see that as a positive or a negative for their playoff chances next season? I, I think it's a positive because I think part of the issue last year was, you know, they really tried to um, go to more of a pace and space system, but they didn't really have the legs for it. Um, you know, John Wall would try to push the ball up court and a lot of times he just didn't have anyone with him. And, you know, yeah, John Wall's probably one of your better players at running a one-on-three fast break, but it's still not ideal. And, you know, now that he's got some guys, you know, the the young players they added over the summer and Markeith Morris, who they got at the trade deadline, now they can push the ball a little bit more. And I think that should um, pay off some big dividends and just enhancing what Wall can do in transition and hopefully just give them a few more options uh, in the half court as well. I mentioned Ramon Sessions, the Hornets uh, getting Ramon Sessions back. He, of course, played one year uh, with the Bobcats, and uh, now he's back with the Hornets. Uh, from what you saw last season, uh, Jake, what are the Hornets getting back in Ramon? Well, I think you're getting a guy who can um, push the tempo effectively. I think where he was able to excel, where other backup point guards behind John Wall struggled in the past, is he was able to kind of keep that same flow to the game going. So even when Wall was out, it kind of still felt like wall was in the game the the big issue is just the lack of court vision he can't uh get guys involved in the same way that john wall would but you know he's good for you know a nice little spurt here and there and just uh you know keeping guys off balance defensively which is always useful and uh you know i think the best thing you can say about him is that he was solid all last year um in a season where there was a lot of up and down contributions and guys who missed time uh, sessions was pretty reliable throughout the season, even as a chaos kind of reign supreme. What's the best addition that the wizards made in free agency? I think uh, Jan Mahimi um, it's um, he's probably maybe a little more pricey than I think a lot of fans were expecting and, you know, coming, you know, just minutes after everyone learned that they weren't getting out Horford. Uh, it was kind of set up to feel disappointing, but the reality is uh, Martin Gortat's not getting any younger. And, you know, while he's competent on the defensive end, he's not really a game changer. And now having Mahimi on the team should give them, you know, an, an extra level of rim protection when they need it. And, you know, he's still got a little bounce in his step. So hopefully, you know, he and Wall can connect on some alley-oops and just just, just give a little more uh, versatility to what the Wizards can do on both ends. Yeah, let's talk more about that. So Mahimi gets four years, $64 million, but you see him as a bench role, right? Or, or, or do you see him eventually uh, making the starting lineup? I, I think he'll start on the bench just as um, just to help the wizards kind of have some familiarity with the starting lineup and 
with the way the bench is constructed right now, there isn't a lot of defensive talent other than Kelly Oubre. So I think having Mahimi on the second unit, he'll be able to help clean up some of those mistakes. But um, if we've learned anything about how the Wizards use Marching Gortat, it's that he uh, invariably ends up not playing fourth quarter minutes. So I think um, Yamahimi, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see him kind of take that role as the team's closer. Uh, just to give that extra protection defensively. And, you know, he can still hurt you in the pick and roll game here and there offensively. And I think, um, you know, it'll start to ease the transition away from Marching Gortat, but I don't think they're necessarily in any rush to bench him. Andrew Nicholson joins the Wizards from Orlando, where he he really could never find consistent minutes in the rotation. Do you feel like, Andrew will find that in Washington and have the Wizards finally found the stretch four that Randy Whitman was looking for uh, all of those years. <laughs> Seems like he yeah. was just trying to find it wherever he could. Have they finally found it? Um, it's interesting because you know I've I've tried to talk to some Orlando people about him and, and what they keep going on about that they're most impressed with is his low post work, which I wasn't expecting because he is a somewhat decent outside shooter, but um, it, it definitely seems like they're trying to gear him more towards just being a guy who can space the floor in Washington. There's been a lot of videos of him um, working on his form and just trying to improve that outside shot. So I, I think he certainly has the capability to do that. And when you look at what he did in Orlando, considering you know the offensive issues they had, playing with a guy like John Wall should, you know, bump those percentages up uh you know we in washington we call it the john wall effect generally when guys play alongside john wall he bumps their percentages up three or four percent so you know if you take what he did in orlando and apply the effect to that then he could easily become a formidable uh threat there behind marquis morris and one thing that that Washington will be getting in Andrew Nicholson that I've always seen when whenever he's visited Charlotte is an energy and an aggressiveness whenever he's brought off the floor. And I mentioned that inconsistency in his role and his minutes in Orlando, but you you never got the sense whenever you see him play that that necessarily bothers him. Whenever he steps out on the floor, he's aggressive. He's the same player. And so I think it's a I think it's a great move for Washington. Yeah, and and I think with just the way the roster is set up right now, uh, you've got a lot of centers who really can't bounce out to the four. So, you know, if unless they want to experiment with Otto Porter at the four a little bit, I, I really don't see anyone who can challenge Nicholson for that backup role. And if he can really um, show prove himself to be an effective outside shooter. Um, you know, that's something Marquise Morris hasn't really uh, excelled at at his career, even though he's you know, capable. Uh, I think he could really um, flourish in Washington um, if, if everything lines up right. Let's talk about one more addition, an addition the Wizards made all the way back in 2012's NBA draft, Tomas Sadoransky. He finally makes his way stateside after being drafted 32nd overall. That's like several iPhone generations ago. Uh, He's a name that I don't think a lot of casual basketball fans are going to recognize, but Wizards fans and some writers seem to be salivating over this acquisition. 
tell us about uh, Sadoransky. Yeah, well, Sadoransky, he's interesting because he has very nice court vision. Um, he's played very well over the past few years with FC Barcelona and with the Czech Republic. Um, they just missed out on making the Olympics this year, but um, he and uh, former uh, Wizards legend Jan Vesely um, were um, helping to, um, you know, turn them into a powerhouse. And, you know, Sadoransky is unique because he's six, seven. So he's got a nice wingspan. Um, yeah. So um, he doesn't, um, he's not necessarily, I guess, a, a, an amazing defensively, but, um, he's competent. He needs to have a little more strength to, um, you know, really, uh, take his defensive game to the next level, but, um, he should give the wizards, um, a nice option, um, just to kind of initiate the offense because, uh, you know, with the way sh- things are shaping up, uh, you really don't want Trey Burke and Kelly Oubre, um, being a, a facilitator. Um, that's not really the forte, but he should be able to handle that load. And I, I think give the wizards a dimension that they didn't have last year. I mean, a six, seven backup point guard, that's, that's quite an asset to have if it ends up paying off. And he, he's, so he spent four years in, in Europe before uh, coming over to the wizards. Do you think they're going to hesitate at all about getting him minutes or, or do you think, you know, four years has been long enough. Let's see what this guy can do. Yeah, I think they they have to throw him into the fire. It's um, just with the way everything is is shaping up. It you know right now it's uh, Jarrell Eddy and Sheldon McClellan are are otherwise your your backup shooting guard options, and neither one has a guaranteed contract at the moment. So I don't think they're ready to um, hand the keys over to them yet. But I I, I think his his playmaking is. Um, going to be really pivotal to, to make the second unit work. And I think it's something if, if he struggles, um, I think they're just going to have to keep working with him, um, you know, on the floor because they just really can't afford not to have someone who can run the offense out there. So you see him as more in the off guard position than, and at the backup point guard position. Yeah, I, I'd say almost, He'll kind of be like James Harden in the sense that he's not the official point guard, but he's the one kind of setting up the offense in in an off Got it. guard role. So, how when you look at the roster overall, how does it stack up to last season's in terms of composition and style of play? Um, well, I, I think the biggest thing is just that they're younger and a little more athletic, and at least in theory. Um, a little better outside shooting. They don't have the like that persistently great outside threat like Jared Dudley last season. But I think across the board, uh, they're a little better shooting. So I, I think those are big. But in in terms of overall talent level, I don't think they upgraded a whole lot. Because they did lose some good contributors last year. Jared Dudley had a nice year. Temple had a nice year. Nene was effective when he was healthy. Um, so it's it's not so much about um, necessarily adding more talent as it is about um, aligning the talent to fit better with uh, what John Wall and Bradley Beal can provide and hopefully uh, maximize what Scott Brooks can bring as a coach. 
Perfect segue into my next question because I was just going to comment. We've gone all this time now, Jake, and I haven't even mentioned John Wall or Bradley Beal. I think that speaks to how uh, much roster turnover, at least opportunities for roster turnover that the Washington Wizards had this past offseason. But one guy they were able to bring back, Bradley Beal, he gets the max contract in your estimation uh, did he earn that max contract or or was it uh, simply somebody was going to give him the max and Washington decided to be that somebody? Yeah, I, I think it was just a matter of um, they couldn't afford to uh, lose him or really even afford to risk having him uh, explore signing an offer sheet and kind of uh, hamstringing um, their flexibility to pursue, you know, Kevin Durant and Al Horford and those other big free agents. But, um, you know, in, in terms of an opportunity cost, I still think um, while he maybe hasn't necessarily played like an all-star to this point in his career, it, you know, he, he just turned 23 at the end of June. And, like, if you compare where Bradley Beal was at age 23 to someone like, say, C.J. McCollum, I think he was a lot further ahead of the, of the curve at that point. So if he can work through those injury issues and give you a good 70 75 games a year I, I i don't think he'll have any issues playing up to that max status by you know his second or third year in the contract injury issues a concern for bradley beal but also it seems like there's some chemistry issues with bradley beal and the other star on this wizards roster john wall where where did this rift or i don't even know if it even existed but where did all of this uh, uh, stuff come about from John Wall and Bradley Beal. Uh, explain the origins and and where uh, these two sit as as we speak today. Okay, so I, I think where it really starts is that there's this idea that because John Wall is the great you know penetrator guy who can push the ball in transition, get into the paint wherever he wants, and Bradley Beal's uh, you know a great knock them down outside shooter that they should mesh perfectly. But, you know, that really only happens, you know, a certain part of the time when you're getting what you want offensively, when things start to break down, when the ball's out of Wall's hands and maybe in Beal's hands, then it gets a little muddier because Beal isn't um, amazing creating his own shot. He's gotten better over the years, but that's still a work in progress and it certainly doesn't help that when John Wall's off the ball, um, his guy is a lot freer to um, come in double Bradley Beal because he knows John Wall probably isn't going to hit that three-pointer. So it's just something as each player has developed and grown and added more skills, there's kind of been a little bit of a tug of war, not, not like a Kobe Shaq kind of thing, but just kind of both guys trying to feel out where they fit offensively. And it's just something that it's hard when you're both young, you both have like an idea or a concept of how you think things should work. And then because of their injury histories, both have enough experience uh, playing without the other that they know what it's like, and they've had some success. And so there's been a challenge trying to figure out, um, how to make both ends work. But I think now that they're talking about it, it's out in the open. I think that's a, a step in the right direction. So hopefully 
with Scott Brooks uh, putting together a more competent offense, they'll figure out a way to make both ends work. Well, John Wall is such an interesting uh, character in my mind because he just goes out year after year, uh, no matter how skilled his teammates are and just absolutely puts up numbers. His his assist numbers continue to improve uh, off of his rookie season. Uh, now two straight years putting up double-digit assists for a season. Uh, ninth, almost 20 points a game last season and 10 assists. So he's he's done it in years where he's had a, a good supporting cast and he did it last year when the Wizards struggled and, and missed the playoffs. What does John Wall have to prove this season? Well, I think the biggest thing is that he just has to show that um, he can be healthy. Um, he had surgery in the offseason on his knees. And, uh, you know, right now it's kind of unclear how much of training camp he'll be able to do or how much of the preseason he'll be able to play. So um, he's going to have to adapt quickly while he recovers. And so the, I think the biggest thing he has to show is, is he still the same explosive athlete that he was prior to this knee surgery? And if not, um, how does he adapt his game to um, adjust accordingly? Um, obviously, there's still uh, things he can do to improve as an outside shooter. Uh, he, he did improve a bit last season, got his three-point percentage up to 35%. But now that teams know he's a little bit better they're going to cover him a little differently. And so it's kind of a, a matter of seeing how Wall adjusts to getting a little more attention when he shoots from outside, um, how he can adjust to that and just how he meshes with these new teammates. Um, it's something he's always been able to um, take guys around him and make, make them better. It's just um, how does he do that with um and finally, Jake, what excites you most about this upcoming 2016-2017 Washington Wizards season, and what concerns you the most? Okay, so uh, the biggest, I think the thing I'm looking forward to most is seeing what happens with Otto Porter. Uh, he's in a contract year, essentially. He's uh, getting ready for restricted free agency. And uh, with the way things are shaping up, um, the Wizards are not really going to be contenders um, in free agency. So it's just a matter of how much are they willing to pay Otto Porter to you know, not lose him. So he has, a, I think, a real chance to um, establish himself as you know, the third guy. Um, he's shown flashes. And in the last couple months of the season, he was really, developing into a nice um, offensive player. He finally kind of figured out um, his spots, um, where to shoot, and kind of where to be a little more of an initiator. And uh, Scott Brooks specifically mentioned that he um, was excited about Otto Porter and where he could develop. And so um, it's going to be interesting to see how they use him and try to make him into um, a little something more than what he was last season. I think he got off to a rough start. And it kind of went hand in hand with everything else Washington was struggling with. But I think under a new regime, he can um, really distinguish himself as one of those uh, three and D guys, hopefully. Um, as far as what I'm concerned about, I think the biggest thing right now is just um, what happens with the second unit. 
Uh, I'm bullish on Sadoransky. I think he'll be able to handle the challenges that come with kind of being the initiator for that second unit. But if he does struggle, um, um, it, it gets a little hairy. Uh, Trey Burke obviously has uh, struggled quite a bit in Utah, and now he's kind of looking for a new opportunity here. But he's always kind of been more of just a scorer than a playmaker. So if they're relying on him to really get the offense going, that might not go well. And, you know, outside of Burke and Sadoransky, there isn't a lot of uh, playmaking as there is just guys who can uh, catch and shoot and, you know, finish off pick and rolls. So uh, that'll be the big challenge. Uh, How do they make the bench um, competent when wall is off the floor? That's always kind of been the, the challenge uh, during the John Wall era. And uh, I guess we'll see if they finally have an answer for it. He's Jake Whitaker. You can follow him on Twitter at Jake Whitaker, W-H-I-T-A-C-R-E. His Twitter bio, I love it. It says, I write bad things on the internet. Uh, Well, listen, you said some good things on this podcast, some great things, a really smart insight into the Washington Wizards and their upcoming season. Read Jake on Bullets Forever. Dot com. Jake, thanks so much for taking the time out to help us out. David, will the Hornets have to watch out for a Wizards comeback in the East? I think they're always going to have to watch out for a team with Wall and Beal on it. The question is, you know, those two guys, what are they? Is it, it their window isn't closing, right, Doug? I mean, like you said, Beal's only 23 years old, but man, they've been together for a couple of years now. Um, if it's going to work, it feels like maybe it needs to work now with a new coach. So um, I think it's all, it's up to those two guys. And, you know, can John Wall take these guys and, and make them better? I mean, he mentioned it as you guys were talking, you know, they didn't really take a step up in talent, but they have this, they have an idea that guys will get better just by playing with John Wall. I, I don't know how, how much better he can make those guys. What do you think about that? Well, I think the window is closing in terms of John Wall. I mean, he does yeah. he, he has this year and then and then two years, so they've got a couple of years to figure things out. But you know, of course, when you enter that last year of the contract, a lot of times if if you don't see a future with that star, they could exit that final year. So they may only have two years left with John Wall at the helm. So I don't know. You know, it's interesting. I think that the Wizards certainly, when you look at them on paper, have enough talent to contend within that Southeastern division and within the Eastern Conference as well. And they're a lot like the Hornets in the sense that a lot of it depends on the health of a player that really changes Mm -hmm. the whole dynamic of their team. Bradley Beal for the Wizards, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist for the Hornets. And well, you know, both of those guys drafted in the same year, coincidentally. But mm-hmm. I just think that uh, in terms of the matchup between the Wizards and the Hornets, I think that uh, I remember last season the Hornets getting beat by the Wizards in that final matchup in April, a game that they didn't really need. The Hornets needed to win and couldn't because the Wizards, who were already out of the playoffs, uh, they just had quickness and and hustle inside that the Hornets weren't able to muster. And you know, I, I think if you're the Hornets, you always have to watch out for the Washington Wizards because they they just always duel. Do you think they got better in the offseason? I think they got younger. I think they got. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think any change 
for the Washington Wizards was going to be a good change. I think the biggest change they made was obviously at the coach position, yeah. <laughs> getting Scott yeah. Brooks and getting younger and developing talent, I think will be important for them. I just don't know if they really added enough shooting. I still think shooting is a concern right. for them. Outside shooting still a concern for them. They're still going to be an offense that needs to get the ball inside and needs to score in transition to put up any kind of high uh, offensive numbers. And if, if you can shut down uh, both or one of those things, you really severely limit what they can do on offense. You know, defensively, I think they're they're pretty much the same team they were. And you know, they're they're betting on a few players just like the Hornets are off the bench. So it it will be interesting. I, I can't wait for those matchups because John Wall versus Kimba Walker has uh, traditionally been a really fun matchup. Yeah, you're right. It's interesting. You guys spoke about Beal, and you know he was in a similar situation as Batum. Really, if you think about it from the team standpoint, I think they were both going to be resigned uh, without question. The teams kind of had to. I do think Charlotte was all was. Um, I don't know how should I put this, you know, definitely wanted to, not that they wanted to more than the Wizards, you know what I mean? I mean, the Wizards had to, the Hornets had to, but the Hornets are kind of working on that for the entire time Patoon was here. It was somewhat of a foregone conclusion. But the thing is, Beal, you know, can he stay healthy, right? He's unfortunately fallen into that Michael K. Gilkers category of every year there seems to be something. So, I mean, that's a big bet right there. They've got a lot of money tied up in him. And the other thing with that, of course, is that he's getting paid much more than John Wall now. So, I don't know how that's going to play out should Beal, you know, continue to miss time, the possible resentment there from Wall. I mean, that's something to keep an eye on, too. Well, according to Wall, he's not paying attention to those kind of things. So whether oh, never mind, whether never you mind. whether okay. you take his Scratch word that. on that or Scratch not, that. I mean, it, he is on the record. But money yeah, is, money is a weird money. thing. They never worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, this season is less than two months out, and people are starting to count down the days by counting down the players. We talked to one writer who's counting down his top 100 NBA players in a very unique way, and over the next few days, we will be profiling where he has the Charlotte Hornets starting five. Joined now by Kelly Scaletta from todaysfastbreak.com. Kelly is busy putting together his top 100 summer list of NBA players. Kelly, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, Kelly, tell us about how you put these rankings together. Everyone uh, does these rankings, but they all have different methodologies. What was yours? To compile the list, I initially just set up some some uh, the major metrics like win shares, win shares per 48, uh, player efficiency rating and real plus minus, and then I weighted those things to determine a, a, a rough idea of who last year's top 100 were, and then I projected how those uh, might change over next year, including some players who are younger. I, I boosted them more and uh, or injured. I considered those sorts of things. So, yeah, it's a uh, Partly statistical based, but with some subjectivity involved. Let's talk about how you broke this down. So you, you broke it down into floor, ceiling, and then and then you discussed their offense and defense. So I assume that the ratings that you gave, the numbers that you give are their rankings. So the, the, the ceiling of their ranking and then the floor of their ranking. Is that correct? Right, right. I think a lot of times these things end up be you know, devolving into oh, how can you have you know, Kimball Walker over Carmelo Anthony or something, you know, 
and and it's and it's like I, I think we get too ironclad, and and there's there's room for players to improve or get worse. So yeah, the ceiling and the floor are based on what I think their best would be or their worst would be. Well, we're here today to talk about Cody Zeller. You begin your ranking of 84 for Cody Zeller by writing, quote, Cody Zeller is on the precipice of a breakout season. Why do you feel that way, Kelly? Well, one, it's his job now. He doesn't have Al Jefferson waiting in the wings. It's his job. A lot of the stats were showing me that he's getting there. He's not quite there, and so another summer of work, I feel like, He's just in that place. And, you know, big men, they tend to take a little longer to develop. And so he's also, he's kind of at that right age. What, what is he now? He's about to be. Yeah, Cody Zeller is going to be, actually, he's going to, he's 23 now, but he's closing in on 24. 24. So, you know, they start getting into that, that mid 20s and getting into his fourth season. This is where a lot of times you'll see the, the, the big men. They start to figure things out. They start to figure out how to be effective. As you mentioned, he uh, set a career high last season for player efficiency. He certainly, I mean, he didn't have yeah. a, a high bar to jump there, but he is. I mean, you look across his rankings, and he has made significant progress, uh, both in his statistics, but I also think he's just made significant progress with his comfort level out on the floor. So I definitely agree with you there. Uh, Cody Zeller is not a player known for major bouts with injuries, at least in terms of season or half-season-long ailments. He certainly had uh, a few injuries, like the shoulder injury that kept him out for a few weeks. Uh, but but you say you still have injury concerns when it comes to Cody Zeller. The, the reason I was thinking that, he's not the biggest dude in the world, and he's going to be going up against, you know, just with the increase of minutes, uh, going up against guys like Andre Drummond and I, I uh, and I think he's the lightest center, the lightest uh, starting center in the league. So while he doesn't have a history of, of injuries, just he's going to be taking more of a beating this year than he's used to. So it's a slight concern. I don't think it's a major one. There's always talks of guys gaining gaining strength or gaining muscle or gaining pounds, and you're hearing those rumblings around Cody Zeller. And if those uh, were to come to fruition, if he has indeed uh, p- packed on those extra pounds, he said in an interview for Hornets.com that he's trying to gain as much weight as possible. That that's his goal, and and uh, Kelly, I we we joke that that's the dream <laughs> for your job to be to gain as much weight as possible. That would definitely be a help because he you know he, he tends to get pushed around a little bit on you know both like for rebounds and, and defensively. And he, I, he he's very athletic compared to most centers, but. Yeah, having a little extra weight would be a big plus for him, and it would probably add some security to us. He's Kelly Scaletta, and he's doing his top 100 over the summer. Cody Zeller coming in at 84. We're going to have him back on to talk about Marvin Williams and Nick Batum. Thanks, Kelly, for joining us. You can read his full breakdowns on todaysfastbreak.com. Where can people follow you on Twitter, Kelly? At Kelly Scaletta. Sports Illustrated not as high on Cody Zeller as Kelly Scaletta was. They are also counting down their top 100, David, and they have Cody Zeller at 94, 10 spots below Kelly's ranking. I I just personally think it's impressive that arguably the Hornets' fifth best starter in Cody Zeller is getting top 100 looks. That wasn't that yeah. wasn't the case last season. No, I think that's 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 fine for Cody on both accounts. I mean, for SI to put him in that top 100, honestly, I'm a little surprised by that. Are you? 
that he got that he got top 100 from from yeah. both of those rankings. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think he showed enough at the end of the season because I think those those top or those bottom uh, ten or bottom twenty slots are really yeah. reserved for players that showed promise last season and have upside. And I think Cody Zeller, yeah, I think Cody Zeller certainly has upside. Not that he doesn't deserve it, but are you surprised? <laughs> well, I, listen, oh, okay. Well, yeah, in that sense, I mean, I'm surprised anytime anyone gives uh, a heads or, a, you know, a, how do you do to Cody Zeller? Because he's not right. a player that has traditionally been given any kind of love. Uh, but I think he's a player that, I mean, you know, you can't, when you see him gallop down the court at seven feet and, and dunk the ball as hard as he can, uh, there's there's just something special about that about a guy his size with his agility that I think once you do take a step back and closely examine what he did last season it's hard to deny that he has potential he he doesn't he has not had the opportunity to uh, you know command an offense or or get the ball consistently and so can he do that I don't know. Um, and the, the yeah. Hornets may need him to do that with the loss of Al Jefferson. The there there will be, I think, more offense coming his way. What he does with it will go a long way in determining whether he falls out of the top 100 next season or continues to climb. Ooh, nice cliffhanger! That was it was called it's a it's a segue. No, it's a tease. It's a, a oh, good a good geez. tag tease. I don't know. Anyway, thanks for listening to Locked on Hornets presented by Hive Talk Live. Follow us on Twitter at Hive Talk Live. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And while you're there, give us a five-star review and help hardcore Hornets fans just like yourself find this podcast. Hive Talk Live is a presentation of SB Nations at thehive.com. We're back again tomorrow with more countdowns and more previews of Eastern Conference teams you should be caring about. For David, I'm Doug. Go Hornets. Go America. I hope Ryan Lochte's okay. Let's swarm Charlotte. So what if I like to stay up late and watch TV? Don't